have for two other times been studying this little book of Jude. The epistle is one of the shortest in the New Testament. It only has 25 verses. It was written late in the first century. And here Jude alerts us and the church down through the ages to the dangers posed by those who sneak in the church and undermine the faith. Uh, there are two main warnings that he give us, gives us. One is that they pervert the gospel uh, grace of God into licentiousness. And the second is that they deny our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, some attack on his person and his work. So let us listen together to this little epistle that contains a big message that's important for each one of us. This is God's inspired word. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in, unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, continued with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion." These are hidden reeves at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones 
to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, true and sure. And we ask that it would now be an open book to us by the power of Your Holy Spirit. He inspired this book and gave you these words carrying Him along that He might write all of Your Holy Word here. And so we do pray that that same Holy Spirit would turn the light on for us, shining this Word, shining upon it, shining in our hearts and minds and lives that we might be changed and You might be glorified. And we ask this in the name of Christ our Lord in whom we pray. Amen. Well, it's the last third of the little book of Jude that stands before us this morning. Verses 17 through verse 25, the end of this one chapter little book. Here we move from a previous section in which biblical and, and historical and theological argumentation now gives way to practical Christian living and things that every Christian needs to know in order to live the Christian life in a broken and fallen world. And like every perfect sermon, Jude has three parts appointment of prayer. He, he's divided the section into three parts grammatically. Did you see that little phrase that he begins this section with? But you must remember, beloved, but you, but you. This is repeated in verses 17 and 20, and it's implied in verse 22 as well. And so there are three sections to this last portion of the book of Jude. The three things that Jude gives us to remember are to remember the warning and to remember the way and to remember the weak. The warning, the way, and the weak should fill our hearts and minds now as we gather around this passage together. 
Jude begins by saying, remember the warning, not just to the general church that he's writing in his own time and day, but as this is an inspired portion preserved for us in the Word of God, it is for us, for every church in every age, God's Word to be preserved and protected and passed down. Now, what warning is it that Jude has in mind? Well, he tells us directly in verses 17 to 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. What's interesting here is that Jude is not speaking in this set of verses in his own authority, but he's quoting the apostles who have come before. He's quoting those who, Paul tells us, are foundational to the church. They extend the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the prophet of the church, as well as its priest and king. And so as they extend his ministry, God, the Holy Spirit, pours out his word through them. And a portion of that has been inscripturated for us and is sitting in your lap. This portion of the scriptures then is for us to teach our minds and hearts and lives, to shape and mold us after the image of Christ, God having preserved it for our blessing and for our benefit. Jude is quoting the apostles, the foundation of the church. And he's quoting something that Peter just a few books before, also quoted in Second Peter chapter 3. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I'm stirring you up, sincere mind by way to, of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. In other words, there was an apprehension by the apostles through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit that in the last times and the end times, there would be those who would come and would scoff and would oppose the things of God. They would be motivated by their own sinfulness and evil and they would put down the Lord and His good work. Jude picks up on this And he applies it to the church in his own day. He applies it to those that had snuck into the church who had bad doctrine, which had led to bad morals. If you remember from some previous weeks, there were those in the church who mixed the truth of God's word with erroneous philosophies and principles of religion from other surrounding nations. Oh, it wasn't the Canaanites so much that they borrowed from in this case, but rather they were reaching far to the east into Iran, and perhaps even further, with Eastern principles of mystic religion and mixing that with the pure and very Word of God. Their trumped-up philosophy made them arrogant elitists, and so they felt like they had the direct line and knowledge of what God willed and wished, apart from the apostles and even apart from Jesus Christ our Lord. These early pre-Gnostic heretics had quietly wormed their way into the church, endangering the whole. And so Jude was raising the alarm about our need to know and to be on guard. 
Now, the interesting encouragement here to us in all the midst of this prophecy of bad news is that Jesus and the apostles, that Peter and Jude told us all about it before it ever happened. This is not something which has caught the Lord by surprise, but it's rather it's something that he has predicted ahead of time. God is sovereign. He knows and sees all things. He is all decreeing. And he is the one who told the prophets and apostles of old, inspired Jude by carrying him along to write these words to warn us all that this is a common and ordinary feature which repeats itself in every generation. That in these last times, in these last days, between the time of the first coming of Christ and the second, we must expect this kind of heretical trouble broadly in the church. The Lord uses their sin, sinlessly, in order to glorify His name and to reassure and comfort His children because He tells us ahead of time of their wicked ways and so lets us know that He is right and sure and good, all-knowing and all-powerful and able to protect us from such sin. Jude may be quoting Peter or one of the other apostles, and in so doing, he teaches each and every one of us not to expect things to always get better. We are instinctively, by cultural background and upbringing, those who expect some sort of improvement and growth and development. If we go back in time, we will find that that we perhaps live in a in a larger home, or or we have a a better or more efficient car than our parents and our grandparents before us. Uh, We we have come to expect in the American experience an improvement in economics and freedom and opportunity. And the Lord here is warning us, taking us back to this sure word that it is not always that way in this world, that trouble comes that heresies molest and and they seek to devour and consume those in the church, the Lord teaches us and reminds us here that the Christian life is a life and death struggle all the way through between lightness and dark. Is it not that way from the beginning in the very Garden of Eden where the Lord pronounced His curse upon the serpent and said that He would put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman? through whom the Messiah would come? Oh, all the way until the Lord comes back, there will be struggle to the end. Things will not get uniformly better. Strangely, the Lord in His grace allows the church to improve and grow and become more Christ-like. At the same time, the world and those that harm the church get more devious and wicked in their ways. Jude is warming you here. And you'd better be ready. You see, it's the wicked who had snuck in the church that were fulfilling this prophecy. Jude makes that clear in verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. He draws a straight line between those that had crept in the church and this ancient prophecy. And that straight line means that though they may have had nice haircuts and dressed very appropriately, though they may have had charismatic personalities and and some 
measure or appearance of wisdom and insight, these were those who had been marked out from the beginning for a role of evil and ultimate destruction. They are not respectable, Jude says. They are those who cause divisions. Their ultimate grounding is not in Christ, but they are worldly ones. Why are they this way? Jude gives us a hint to that when he says, they are devoid of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means not to have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you have no union and communion with our Lord. They profess to know Jesus, but they have nothing of Him in their lives. Oh, they have all sorts of cleverness and worldly learning and wisdom, but at the end of the day, they don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. They are blinder than even the Pharisees in many ways because they mix false teaching from other religions with the true one and only way of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, they are without the Spirit, and so Christ is not theirs and they are not His. They are unbelievers. They have not been born again or born from above. They don't know true saving faith, and they have no real Christian life, even though they knew the right words to say to gain entrance into the visible covenant community. These are hopeless folks, Jude tells us, who imitate Christians but don't really know the Lord. But beloved, lest we become discouraged, remember the language that Jude uses concerning the church. He says in verse 17, But you remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, remember. Beloved. You see, being called beloved means that God loves you and that He will not let you go, come thick or thin. Being called beloved means that God cares for you and that He will pick you up and carry you on His shoulders if that's what's necessary to see you safely through the end of the race. You are beloved. And so God warns you about the others who have crept in and not to be like them or to follow in their ways. We are beloved in Christ our Lord. God loves His Son. He is the Son of His love. And those united to Him by faith and by the Spirit, He loves them too and cares for their souls. He watches over you and He loves you inside out. But with trouble threatening the church, what are we supposed to do? Jude doesn't leave us hanging, wondering. He rather directly tells us to remember the way. Remember the way in which God provides His grace and strength to you in times of even difficulty and wickedness in the church. In verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Oh, beloved, he says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Here Jude is exhorting us to persevere in good teaching. He's telling us that we need to continue reading the Bible, studying His Word, 
going back over and making sure that we understand that apostolic foundation of the church. Uh, We need to read the Old Testament as well as the New. We need to watch how the apostles interpret in the New Testament the Old Testament before so that we too can understand how God's eternal plan of salvation is one in which He has been preparing the ground and giving us the categories to understand and appreciate His Son who takes on flesh and dwells among us. That we might see Jesus for who He is, the second person of the Trinity, who takes on flesh and tabernacles with us, and so who lays down his life, who gives himself as a sacrifice for sin on the cross, shedding his blood for forgiveness, that we might know eternal life and live with God forever. Oh, that's the way. Remain in the good teaching which God has given through his prophets and apostles of old. This is important. Because it's the bread and butter of the Christian faith. It's the meat and potatoes of Christian living. Now, I don't want to distract you from the text, but I'm sure everyone here has an interesting or good or hearty lunch waiting on them. And it is a day of rejoicing and, and thanking God for all the good things that He's given. So a good, a good uh, uh, lunch on Sunday is not a bad thing at all to enjoy. But as we feed our bodies and they are strengthened, so too even more it is important for us to feed our souls from God's Word, which He lays out for us. Biblical preaching and teaching is a means of grace, a means of grace to strengthen our souls. And so here at Christ Church, we have good reason to rejoice and give thanks to God for the fine pulpit ministry of our senior pastor, Fred Greco. I want to remind you, even in the midst of the sermon, that that the bond between a pastor and his people is very precious. And so it's important for us to be praying for Fred and Deb as they uh, return back to us by midweek. They've had a time in in Detroit and Buffalo after the General Assembly uh, of relaxation and visiting with family. And so pray for their safe travel and for Fred to come again and from this desk to preach the Word of God to us and feed our hearts and our souls upon it. You see... In Christ Church, we have a full and regular ministry of expository, serial, biblical preaching and teaching. This is the historic pattern of the early church and of the Reformation and the best of Protestant tradition since that time. To go through books of the Bible, to unfold that Word of God and apply it to the hearts and minds and lives of the people of God. Christ Church is blessed in this way with the good teaching of the Word of God written. And this is so important for you. It's so important because in His Word, God lays down the whole counsel. And you don't want to miss some portion of that meal which He has uh, prepared for you. God inspires and illumines His Word in our lives that it might transform us and change us. And it's by reading and studying the Word that He makes us more and more like Him and like His Son incarnate. His word will not return void, not just when a copy of it is placed in a hotel room, but also when a copy of it is placed in your lap. When you come to worship and it's opened and read and, and when it's preached, the word does not return void. If we come to him with the empty hands of faith, we seek God's light and life. He provides it to his people. And so read your Bible. Read it every day. 
Sit under good preaching and teaching every week. Study the Word with friends and family. There are many opportunities for Bible study within the church early in the morning on Wednesday and and later in the evening for the men and also other times for women and children. It is important for us to be strengthened by this God-appointed means which Jude presses here upon our conscience. We need His Word, especially in a day and time of temptation and trouble abroad. Jude also says we need a second means of grace. He says that we need to persevere in good prayer. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude says. Prayer is a means of grace by which with the hand of faith we reach reach up and pick low-hanging fruit from God. It's not that our prayers are powerful in and of themselves. They're like letters. And you know, floating a letter across the room is no powerful thing. But floating a letter to heaven becomes a source of power because God Himself is powerful who receives that petition, that prayer request. And God has established prayer as a means of grace. So even before you ask, what has He done? He has prepared that fruit to be easily picked by His people through prayer. Low-hanging fruit, if but the hand of faith will reach up and pluck it and eat. Now, we don't get this kind of spiritual benefit just by any old kind of prayer. It's not just praying in any old way. But rather, Jude emphasizes for us the spiritual nature of prayer when he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? It means to pray in agreement with the Holy Spirit. In the way that the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray, and His Word is very clear on how we should pray. Do we not have a record here of our Lord's Prayer where He taught His disciples how to pray? Are there not different parts and petitions and elements to that which can enrich our own prayer life and help us to pray more like the Holy Spirit teaches? We have our Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17. Perhaps the most masterful prayer in all of the scriptures. They're the prayers recorded in the book of Acts of the apostles. They're prayers in the Psalms. Uh, They're prayers of greats of the Old Testament like Moses and Samuel. Oh, the word of God inspired and illumined in our lives by the Holy Spirit The Word of God teaches us how to pray. And so we too can pray in conformity with the will and the instruction and purpose of the Holy Spirit that we might be those who pray in the Holy Spirit as Jude instructs. Now, how do you learn to do that? How do you learn to pray after the biblical pattern and order? Well, you read your Bible. And there are some helps that are available if you want to sharpen your pen just a little bit more in this area of Christian living. Now, I I don't spend a lot of time from the pulpit plugging websites, but this one you all have to remember, and I challenge you each to go have a little peek at. It's easy to remember. www.matthewhenry.org Go have a look at the Matthew Henry website. MatthewHenry.org, that great 
English Puritan whose commentary of the whole Bible has blessed the church of God for so many generations, there's a website dedicated to his book entitled The Method of Prayer. Henry composed a book which draws upon the prayers sprinkled throughout the Scripture and puts them in a biblical order and proportion and instructs us how to pray them, both for us as individuals and our families, as well as the corporate church and wider world. MatthewHenry.org will translate the biblical language from multiple versions into the singular or the plural, and it lays out for you an electronic modernized text of Matthew Henry's great work. When I was in seminary, Dr. Old Palmer Robertson uh, taught us Old Testament biblical theology. His class was always right after lunch. And after Attending his class once or twice, we all began to realize there was no way that we could walk in from lunch and just sit in his class and listen to him pray. His prayers were so full and biblical that we began going five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes early to pray before the instructor prayed that we might be ready to appreciate all that his prayers had to say. Several of us went to his office one day and humbly asked him if he would teach us how to pray. And out of his desk, he pulled a little copy, a beat-up little leather copy of Matthew Henry's Method for Prayer. Well, now it's on the Internet, and you can read it and enjoy it. And it even will help you weave prayers together that you might instruct your mind and heart after this Holy Spirit biblical way of preaching. Have a look at it and let me know if it's an encouragement to you. Well, Jude, in addition to telling us to persevere in teaching and prayer, also says that we should persevere in good waiting in the midst of trouble all around us in the church and world. In verse 21, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In the face of wicked teaching and Wicked morals. Here Jude tells us that we must learn to wait well. We must respond to gospel threats, but not with rash conclusions and words and actions, but rather in spiritual wisdom and patience and insight. Keep yourselves in the love of God, Jude instructs us. You know, so many, so many have let go of their first love just when they needed Him most. So many get all upset and in turmoil. They get worn out in the fight of of the culture wars out there or the doctrinal wars within the church and they throw their hands up because they have lost their love of God and they walk away from the faith once delivered to the saints. Oh, my friends, be warned here by Jude. Do not lose your love of God Love the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul and spirit and your neighbor as yourself. And look and long for the coming of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because only then will we have real victory and full relief from the struggle with the devil and the enmity that God has placed between him and us in this world. This temptation is not unique to church life It's something that can affect us even in the realm of politics and national policy. 
Perhaps you're a little like me. I'll confess to you that I've been fairly discouraged in recent days by a few of the opinions handed down by the Supreme Court. But you know, rather than despairing and throwing my hands up and thinking, well, well, God is doing nothing and, and there's no hope in the world, we do well to stir up our love of Christ and our passion for His Heavenly Father that we might look and long for the coming of Jesus all the more as the trouble rises in the world. Do not despair. Look to Jesus and keep yourself in the love of God as you strengthen your soul with His Word and prayer. And then finally, Jude tells us that we must remember the weak. The warning He has given us to remember. And He also has given us good reason in His Word uh, whereby we must be careful and make sure that we follow the way of the means of grace that He has appointed. But here in this last few verses, he tells us to remember the weak. And he gives us three different kinds of pastoral care and comfort for the church in troubled times. He says in verse 22, And have mercy on those who doubt. You see, there's some affected by naysayers who rise up in the life of the church that tremble and waver. This is normal for the church in a fallen world before our Lord comes back again. How do we respond to such sheep who get nervous and have a difficulty even taking one step forward? Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. In the wider context, it's clear it's patient mercy that he's advising. He's advising us as individual Christians and also uh, the leaders of God's flock, the elders in the church, that we all must be careful to be patient as folks are impacted by false teaching. Not that we abandon them, but that we're mercifully patient with them. And we give them opportunity to be comforted and encouraged within the life of the people of God. You see, simple doubt is not the big problem. Some get so caught up in the temptations and false teachings and immorality that they are burned up by it, consumed. And so in verse 23, Jude tells us that a different kind of mercy is necessary in that case. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Jude doesn't want us just to sit back and wait and watch as someone in the church is consumed by false teaching and bad living. Rather, Pastoral care and comfort and discipline is required. Perhaps in extreme situations, not everyone in the church will know or understand. But your elders, be encouraged, your elders love you. And they will not abandon you to the fire and let you be consumed. Uh, They will put up a fight for you. They will reach out and grab that hot stick. And they will seek to pull you out of the fire that you might continue to love and serve the Lord all your days. Oh, you can sleep better tonight because you know that your elders love you enough to take the Word of God and do spiritual surgery on your soul in great time of need. And then finally, he tells us that there's trembling mercy. Trembling mercy for those who have become polluted and been made foul by what has gone on around. 
To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, Jude tells us. You see, it's not just on TV and in the Dirty Jobs series that you can get a little dirty and stinky in this life. This can happen morally and spiritually to us, Jude tells us. Trembling mercy is what is necessary in that case. It's the proper reaction to immorality in the flock. We must love the sinner and we must hate the sin. We must love the sinner and seek to rescue them. But the whole time remembering that there's nothing in their life that couldn't also be true in our own. That all of us are fallen and sinners saved by grace, but sinners yet still. And yet... We must remember when we deal with one another, but for the grace of God, there go I. Oh, the kind of love to the needy, but all the while trembling, lest we too get caught up in that sin, is what Jude tells us to show one to another. We don't look down on someone. We rather take them by the hand and we look up to Christ Jesus our Lord, who is the fountain of all strength and blessing forgiveness and healing. Well, the final words of Jude's epistle are a benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. What more comforting words could there be to a church which finds itself in the midst of trouble within and without? persecuted by political forces on the outside and threatened by heretics within who are involved in all sorts of sensual evils and seek to pull the sheep off into the same. God, your heavenly Father, is able to keep you from stumbling. And in Jesus Christ, you're able to be made blameless and to be presented in joy before his heavenly Father. And so he ends his benediction to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And so we think of the power of God and the might of God as we remember his Shekinah glory coming down and the regal splendor and majesty in which he dwells, his very throne now, the place where Jesus Christ is seated on our behalf and we in Him in the heavenlies. And dominion, He has that scepter and our Lord reigns. And no evil in all the universe can plague His people, but He is able to turn His scepter and to make things right. He has the authority, the power and the right to use it. And He has had that from before time and will have that until time is done. For you see, nothing is too hard for God. And that fact that God loves His people and that God will care for them come what may to to tempt them, that is the way that we live the Christian life in a fallen and evil world. By standing on God and trusting in His Son, by reading His Word and crying out to Him in prayer and loving Him with our hearts. Now go keep that faith and you will see Him and rejoice. Let us pray. O our Father and our God, we thank You for Jesus Christ our Lord. 
we thank you that he is the one and only Savior and is able to protect us from the evil one and all of his demons. Our Father, we ask that we might not lose our grip on the Bible. We pray that we might not stop praying, but rather continue faithfully in biblical prayer. And we ask, O Lord, that we might love you with our heart and with our lives, and that indeed we would wait patiently for the coming of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.